This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. The weather will be what the weather will be. It is Friday. It is six-ish. It is time for the brightest conversation in Hamilton Radio. That's what we call it. And in studio today to join me, one of our favorite guests, Lauren Lieberman, who you see regularly on Cable 14 with an ever-expanding goatee that is that is reaching... <laughs> You're you're almost at the uh, what were the name of those um, the uh, the shuffle demons from back nice. in the eighties? Thank you. The As opposed to players. going with Duck Dynasty. Well, Love shuffle demons. No, it's not Duck Dynasty. Yeah. If, if you've kind, of, it's it's halfway between. Couple more months, it'll be braidable. Yeah, it's it's halfway Put between like early UFC star Tank Abbott and the shuffle <laughs> demons. Nice. Yeah, it's uh, it is getting impressive. Thank you. Yeah, I think you should like let do dreads maybe. Down there, some uh, braids, some um, cornrows. Cornrows, uh, yeah. It is. It's. It's got Thank six you. inches going there yeah. at least, and uh, yeah. Well, well done. I cannot grow one of those. Uh, I, I have. I have a limited skill set, but you're looking at it. <laughs> I'm, I am. I am not a. Uh, I am not a quality facial hair grower. I can no. get to the. You're young. It'll come. <laughs> yeah, I wish I can get to the just looking kind of scruffy like I haven't shaved, which is where I am today. But when I actually say, oh, let me try and actually grow something. No, mm. no. Anyway, speaking of hair, I want to get to this because we've got many serious things and some not so serious things to get to. But answer one question for me. I was watching t- this week Facebook, what is he, CEO, founder, whatever he is, Mark Zuckerberg, talking in front of Congress this week, getting grilled. This guy is worth... 50 billion, 60 billion, 70 billion dollars. He's got more money than all of Congress put together, except for Nancy Pelosi, who somehow has made billions on $100,000 a year salary. Anyway, he is getting grilled, sitting there, one of the richest men in the world, with one of the worst haircuts on the planet. And I'm thinking, well, there's him, and there's Mark Davis, who owns the Los Angeles, or owns the, uh, the Rams, who are moving to Las Vegas eventually, who's got the... Worst, you know, Dumb and Dumber. What was the guy's name? Lloyd, uh, Lloyd whatever from Dumb and Dumber. Um, What is with rich guys and really, really, really bad haircuts? So I'm I'm seeing the sequitur here on why um, am I so ugly looking? No, I wasn't actually thinking of the beard, although I... but I, But I will pick up on that. And because it doesn't matter when you're that wealthy or in my case... That charming. Um, <laughs> you don't need a good haircut. I I, I don't know what to tell you. Um, I just I can't believe that they can buy and they do. They wear nice suits. They wear drive nice cars. They do all the stuff. And yet the one thing when you see their face, when you have your first impression of these guys, you think that guy looks like a moron. And they're not morons. They've done very obviously incredibly well in it's business. It's intentional, I would think. It has to be, doesn't it? Somebody surely has, before us. My ugliness is intentional. Before us, someone has had to have come up to Mark Zuckerberg or someone. Maybe, now, maybe they're all terrified of him at Facebook. Maybe nobody would. But his mom, his sibling, <laughs> somebody and said, yeah, Mark, um, maybe, you know, it actually looks like his mom might be cutting it in the bathroom, saving a few pennies. Wow. Which I just, I don't, you again. Should, you should send him a Facebook message. Let him know. In, a, in like a nice way. In a nice way. I'm, I've become very, actually very uh, skittish about whatever I put on Facebook. This week has led me to believe that everything that I have ever thought is now available to the world online. Well, of course it is. Well, I know it is. It's just this has been a reminder of a week that that's the case. 
This is this has been the kind of week where you say, you know, when I sent that, um, hey, happy birthday to whomever, uh, that somehow is now locked into some vault somewhere and down the road, if that person ever does something that's not nice or says something not nice, I am now going to be enmeshed with all that. And this whole, it's all very frightening. It really is. It's all, to me, it's all very frightening, the amount of information. We talked about it this week, the amount of information that exists of every person online, Facebook or Google or whatever. It's frightening. And yet, the guy who p- holds all that power... Can't even get a decent haircut. Can't get a decent haircut. It is... Uh, <laughs> and I mean, look, I, I'll be the first to admit... I mean, you're talking about your beard. I am... Well, your haircut's all right. I am pot calling the kettle black, for sure. A guy who has no hair is treading on thin ice, criticizing anyone else's hair. But let me assure you, if I could grow a good head of hair... Would you have hair if you were a billionaire? Would I have had some sort of weird transplant or odd chemical sprinkled on my head or... I don't... I doubt it. But if I was naturally capable of just having plumage, which I did once upon... Oh, man, once upon a time, I had... It was lush... And huh. thick and blonde and wavy. It was, you would not believe, well, if you ever saw my wedding pictures, you would. But uh, it is gone. But if I had hair today, man, I would be wanting to make sure it was done right. And if I had 60 or $70 billion, I think I could probably find 100 or two if I had to. And you don't even need 100 or two. I don't think. It's been a while since I had a good haircut. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. Ted McMeekin, Liberal MPP, yes. uh, made an announcement today regarding the LRT that uh, bidding was soon going to be opened. And look at that. There's going to be uh, some millions, I think $5.9 million of affordable housing that was going to be built along the route. There's a couple things about this. First of all, at what point... Is there a point at which the governing liberals in their mind actually run out of money to be giving out prior to an election? Because it's just every day it's, here's a few more million, here's a few more billion, here's a few. And and if they're doing it here in Hamilton, you know that every MPP around the province is doing it in their their town too. Yes. Yeah. So announcements aren't the same as... Uh, receiving the check. And additionally, um, it's my understanding, they're announcing things that have been in the pipe and were announced uh, some time ago. Um, they just, it's more like re-announcing or tweaking a program uh, that already was announced. See, I've, I believe, and, and I, I mean, I really, this is something that I started thinking about a little while ago, and the more I've thought about it, the more I believe wholeheartedly that this should be the case. I don't believe it should be legal for governing parties in a period of time, whether you want to call three months, six months, probably six months before an election to spend your tax dollars to try and buy your votes. I think that they should have to be locked in with what they're going to do as far as spending before that. I I agree. I think it should also um, be illegal to um, go into debt for a provincial or federal budget with the exception of infrastructure projects because they can be financed over time. But otherwise, uh, it's irresponsible and immoral. 
But the argument would be that if we can run projects that will actually offer people a hand up, that they will better themselves, that they will be able to make more money, that eventually more tax dollars will flood into the economy, and that this money will be paid back in exponential right, which spades. which is why um, um, deficits don't become debts, and, uh, and we have great bond ratings. Uh, oh, wait, none of that is true. It just gets worse. No. No. I, I, I'm, I'm just... It is amazing to don't, me. Don't be upset, though, by Wynn's promises. They're all irrelevant. You're that confident that, no, that, that Kathleen Wynn is no. going to lose. No, I'm not. No, see, I don't, I don't, no. I don't know. I don't oh. know. I, I tend to lean that way, and, and the polls seem to be suggesting that, depending on which poll you look at, and again, we know from the last U.S. election how much good polls are, but the polls seem to be suggesting that they have not gathered a lot of traction and have not changed people's thinking that Doug Ford is still going to be head, heading towards a majority, but uh, I'm not betting my house on that. Polling doesn't make any sense to be reported as where we are at for the provincial election because where is it coming from? We don't vote for a premier. It's all about whether Toronto is going to let some conservatives come into the 416, right? It's it's, I'd like seat projections to be the media announcements, not, not polling. It doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. Well, and, and polling is also largely done on landlines. And so a, people of a certain age group who don't have, or largely don't have landlines are unrepresented. So if you get a whole lot of people who are 18 to 30 who decide to come out and vote, they generally are not big voters, but if they do, that changes it completely as well. So I have no idea. But I'm looking at this and announcement after announcement after announcement, it, it just seems to me that, I don't know, it, it, the government that's in power, I don't care what party it is, should not be able to be A, uh, having things like throne speeches or whatever or budgets that are done with my money. It's my money. It's your money. It's the listener's money that are paying for this, which is essentially free advertising for them. There should be a time frame before an election when you are not allowed to spend the taxpayer's money. Um, I get your point, but I'm not sure anybody's getting fooled by this. All these announcements seem desperate. You don't, well, they, uh, yeah, no, they do. They do. They, of course they seem desperate, but I think a lot of people are, I don't know if the word is being fooled. Uh, uh, you know, I won't, I won't use that phrase. I think a lot of people are looking at some of these things and saying, huh, I could use free daycare. I could use free tuition. I could use free... Medicare. Now, of course, as we've said a million times in the show, none of it is actually free, but that's the way it's being positioned. So I think a lot of people are looking at that and saying, sure, that would be great. And on balance, look, if I have to pay a few hundred dollars extra tax, but I get $10,000 worth of whatever, well, let the other schmucks pay for the stuff. I'm good. I'm, I'm ahead. You're, you're frightening me. But that's what I, I'm, I'm convinced that there's people thinking that. Oh boy. I think that, I think you will see tons and tons. If those students, if those younger voters come out who are the ones who are in university or in college and they want free tuition, I think that alone would be enough for many of them to buy in, not realizing they're the ones who will pay these taxes down the road. We got to take a break. You're listening to the Scott Radley show. Weeknights from six to eight only on 900 CHML. Uh, we were chatting about um, the announcement today from the 
provincial liberal government, Ted McMeekin making the announcement about the LRT, that they are going to begin the bidding to build it, and they're going to add affordable housing along the way. The timing of this, because we've been talking about LRT now for two years? More, but yeah. Or I mean, really talking about it, getting into the nitty gritty of this stuff, the timing of it today strikes me as, well, my first word that I came with was desperate. Uh, because especially when it says that no project agreement will be signed before the June provincial election or the October city election. So why are we doing this? Why are we making a big deal about this today? I mean, I, and again, it sounds desperate. And the other thing is, it sounds like we're trying that the liberals are trying to put everything in front of Doug Ford. So he is the bad guy. If he wins, that he has to cancel stuff. I think in spite of whatever side you might fall on with LRT, what Doug Ford did, what he announced, is the gentlemanly position to take, to defer to the local community's local government, is you want it, great, you'll have it. You don't want it, we'll give you something else. I thought, politicking aside, it's lovely. But that's been met with outrage in some corners. If um, our mayor, if Fred had any confidence... He should say, thanks, Doug. Um, Thank you for the flexibility, but we won't need it. If it's that good a project, it will retain its support. And yet we're already seeing signs that I think that some councillors are beginning to waver a little because it's always been positioned that you get a billion dollars for LRT or nothing. And now if it's a billion dollars to solve some other problems. Um, Can I, and I'm, I'm on a bit of a crusade to make this. Um, change everywhere. It's gone from a billion to a billion three. And to leave out $300 million, Fair enough. if it's that irrelevant, I'll take your $300 million. It's a billion three. Yeah, okay. That's a lot of money. But you know what? Look, even if, it, so now it comes to the, let's say it was a billion for infrastructure or a billion three for LRT. It still becomes a really interesting question for a lot of people. I, I don't know if that's enough. Do we throw $300 million away because we think that the billion could actually do more, in a sense. That's 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 also part of the discussion that I you know may. But come we've into spent this. tens upon tens of millions of dollars studying this. Yeah, I'm. Ugh. I, I keep hearing different numbers about how much we've already spent on the LRT. Well, there's what's spent, and then there's what's committed, and then what we intend. But on I keep spending. hearing like a hundred million dollars is no. already gone, and I'm thinking where? No, the, how? The expropriation hasn't even gone through yet, so. But I've have you you've heard these numbers? Yeah. So Fred today said seventy two, but it should be ninety five by the end of the year based on commitments. I, I, look, I, I this this <coughs> this is only going to be we're only going to hear more and more about this as we mm-hmm. get closer and closer to the election. And again, polls are polls. Polls are not always accurate. But if the polls continue to show the trends moving one way or another, you are going to see. A lot of this. You're going to see a lot of this. And I think everyone knows that. But I just can't remember an election. And maybe I'm having short memory. I just can't remember an election where so much at such a cost has been promised right, right. before the election. There, you always get promises. I can't remember the orgy of promises that have been thrown onto the buffet table. And it's like something for everyone. Lots for everyone. Just take whatever you want. Mm-hmm. I don't remember that. And it, I think it's going to get more. Um, but those are promises we've heard before that didn't come through. So, some, some um, are new, 
some are new. I, I, I say it's just it's a to me, uh, if, and I've told you this before. I've said this to the listeners before. I don't care where your political allegiance lies. I really, I truly don't care. If you are the farthest left liberal, that's fine by me. You're entitled to have that opinion. But this really is going to come down, I think, in a lot of ways to are you someone who wants to spend and spend and spend and think we can spend to greatness? Or do you think that we have to start to cut back and become great? I don't want to say become great again. That's a uh, a loaded phrase. But, but return to financial solvency by holding back a little bit. That that really is where this election, I think, is, is in many ways going to go. But we got to take a break. Back after this on 900 CHM. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. Take a breath here because it's, it's hard to make this segue because what we're going to mention here is something that everyone knows has been brutal this week. It's this, uh, the story of what happened in Saskatchewan with the, right. with the hockey players. 16 now, including a trainer, a broadcaster, a coach, a driver, all these. Yeah. We all know the story. I don't yeah. need to go into the details. So in the midst of this, we've got this national moment. Not a moment that we asked for or wanted or were looking forward to or anything, but it happened and it's an amazing, to me, it's an amazing coast-to-coast response to this thing. $11 million now in the GoFundMe page from 130,000 different people. Uh, Hockey sticks being left on front porches. People wearing their jerseys. So... A side note, a little side story happens when a reporter, who I'm not going to name because I don't really want to give her the attention that I think she is reaching out for or crying out for, sends out this tweet. I'm not trying to get cynical about what is a totally devastating tragedy, but the maleness, the youthfulness, and the whiteness of the victims are, of course, playing a significant role. Anything to what she says? Well, um, first of all, I would um, absolutely have to think that was a deliberately salacious tweet. Um, I'd never heard of her until she came out, and I'll stick with your point to not name her or her publication. Um, So I think it was a publicity stunt. I think it is disgusting to try and elevate your own career on the back of this tragedy. But to directly address the point that she made, um, I would absolutely agree that the age of the majority of the victims does make it more tragic. Um, An accidental death of someone with most of their life ahead of them is more tragic than an accidental death of somebody who is four times that age. And that's not being ageist. It just is more tragic. In terms of whiteness and maleness, um, I'm glad now that a reporter for... uh, uh, a national uh, Canadian freelance dist- reporter. Yeah, fair enough. Um, is letting me know that I, me, uh, you, and everybody else in Canada. Um, well, first of all, we're racist, um, which is great to know, and that uh, we don't value the the lives and subsequent death of women the same. That's madness. Madness. She's I, I, an idiot. Well, the suggestion is. By this, and and here's the thing: the reason I bring this up is not just to mention the tweet. There are she has received massive amounts of blowback on sure. this, but she has also received quite a bit of support for her position. Oh, of course, there are there are more. This is not 
a unique or a soul solely held position. There are many people who believe that this would be the case and that somehow if a bus of 28, I think there were 28 people on board, if a bus of 28 people from a women's hockey team or a women's basketball team or someone else were to have had the same thing happen, that the response would have been vastly less emotionally engaging, that many fewer people in this country would have cared. And I, like you, I, I reject that. I don't believe that. I agree, you know, and I hadn't really thought of your point about the age thing until you said it, but I do agree with that. I, I, if, if you have a bunch of 80 year olds and again, it's not a shot at 80 year olds, but there is something horribly sad about kids dying. I had a high school classmate who went to university, was taking aviation and died in a plane crash when he was 19. The church was jammed to the rafters and beyond filled with many people who I'm convinced had never met him, but right. knew someone who knew him, but it's a young person. Youthful deaths are more tragic. Deaths. Now you make yes. that exponential, you, you multiply that number by 16. I understand that part. So the, the youthfulness and it's, again, it's not, we're not saying, yeah, if you're old and you die, no problem. That's not what we're saying. It's, this is something different, but I reject, I completely disagree that if it was a female hockey team from Humboldt, that we would have all just yawned and move on with our life. No way. Not, not a chance. No way. And it is merely coincidental that they all happen to be white. We are talking about Humboldt, Saskatchewan. So if you made a junior hockey team bus crash somewhere in a more metropolitan Ontario team, it wouldn't be all-white. Hockey is no longer the elitist all-white sport. Um, I, I, think it's, I think it's disgraceful, and I think anybody who's, who supports what it is that she tweeted um, has a terrible view of uh, Canadian society. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. We're chatting about this Twitter war that broke out this week when a freelance journalist who has written for some large publications in this country sent out a note about the Humboldt tragedy. I'm not trying to get cynical about what is a totally devastating tragedy, but the maleness, the youthfulness, and the whiteness of the victims are, of course, playing a significant role. And Lauren, again, as I said, if people are just tuning in, it's not, I wouldn't have even raised this if she stood alone with this view, but there are enough people who are retweeting and saying, yes, she's got a great point here. This is really, this is something we have to talk about. This is something we have to deal with. I'm not sure. Again, I, 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 where is any evidence of that? Where is there the evidence that if it was a busload of 28 Afro-Canadian female hockey players, basketball players, baseball players, soccer players, whatever, where is the evidence that we would not share this same depth of national grief? And I don't see it. I don't, I don't see where you say that, are we just assuming I mean, I guess that's what it is. We're just assuming. assuming. Yes. Because there's no evidence that this would be the case. But I do think there are some things um, specific to the Humboldt Broncos that has made it especially gripping coast to coast in this nation. And that small towns um, understand the effect and devastation more so um, than than us here in Hamilton. That's, That's not 
uh, and it's not even on a proportional basis to um, uh, to to your population, but in the town of Humboldt, that's what you would do on a Saturday night. Oh yeah, we that's, had we had a guy named, and if you were listening earlier this week, if people were listening this week, we had Bill McDougal on. Now Bill McDougal played a couple of years or three years with the Dundas Real McCoys at the end of his career, but his first one of his first years was playing with the Humboldt Broncos, and he's talking about this team and. It's a town of five, maybe 6,000, an hour and a half from anywhere. Hockey is the center point of this. Every person in that town knows or certainly knows of these players. But I they think... Are, they are famous in that community. Yes. And it's hockey, and it's small town, and it's tight community, but, and it's like that at so many other ones that's around. That's my point. It's not a Humboldt thing. No. You kind of even have that in Caledonia. To some degree. To some degree. This, I, I think this But makes the more it, remote you are, oh, sure. and I think that's what made it so relatable coast to coast. And so if you had something like this happen with a team in downtown Toronto or suburbs of Toronto or somewhere in Toronto, I would agree that maybe, whether it was male, female, black, white, whatever, I, it may not be exactly the same because you don't have the same connection to correct. the community. I, I couldn't agree more. That was the point I'm making. So yes. it's not, so, so is it a, is it a fact that if there was a busload of four, of 16 Afro-Canadian girls who were 16 to 19 who died, who were from downtown Toronto or from the suburbs of Toronto, would it be different? Maybe a little bit. Different, yes. But not because we are, I don't believe, systematically across the board racist and value black lives across the board less. I think there would be an equal or very close to, there would be differences, but the outpouring, I believe, would be the same. I believe would be the same. Would it raise $11 million on GoFundMe? It might only raise $8 million. Does that make it racist or does that mean that there's different elements to this story that make it unique. I think small town Canadians um, have been punching way above their weight in terms of the financial contributions to this. That would be my guess. I have no way of knowing that, but I think that's where the exceptional financial contributions are coming from, from people who are not familiar with a GoFundMe campaign. Rural Canadians, small town Canadians, who this story struck to them and, and they're writing the checks. The sad part to me is that there are people who really believe this. And I am not arguing here that nobody in this country has racist viewpoints. I'm not saying that there, that that is, that there is nobody, but I think that the vast overwhelming majority of people in this country, if it was a busload of Afro Canadian kids would have the same reaction if 16 died. And by the way, as you mentioned in the break, there was a woman who was killed in this as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And truly, I don't know if she was white. And without being goofy on this, you're pretty much going to be white if you're in Humboldt, Saskatchewan. Um, Or native. That's all there is in Saskatchewan. There's not an Afro-Canadian population there. They're allowed it's not institutional racism, but just not a whole lot of black people have made their home in the provinces of Saskatchewan. I, I, I find, I, as I say, you know what? I find this, I find this sad more than anything. There are people who are infuriated with this. I find it more sad. I find it sad that there are people who are going through their life looking everywhere to find something that is that I don't think 
exists on a broad scale like so this. So you made the point that you can understand that you know some people are racist. Okay, I don't agree uh, as a nation that we are, but I had no idea that as a nation we value a male's life more than a female's. That's all new to me. That I think that's the goofiest one of all. We'll leave that one there. It's all I can take on that one, to yeah. be honest with you. No, you're allowed, she, I, I, I support. I, I support entirely her right to say what she right. wants to say. Free speech is fine, but if you say it, you got to know that there's going to be some discussion and some yeah. blowback, and you got to live with that. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show weeknights from six to eight only on 900 CHML. I want to go back to the city of Hamilton for something to talk about for a few minutes here because. Andrea Horvath, uh, we know, leader of the provincial NDP. There's an election coming up. It's been an interesting, it's been a very interesting time in politics, not just in Hamilton, not just in Ontario, not just in Canada, around the world, because we've had an awful lot of things going on recently, and not just with politics, but people being called out, challenged, accused, whatever, of improper behavior, which has led to resignations, which has led to firings, which has led to all kinds of different things. So Andrea Horvath, though, finds herself in a bit of a spot, I think, right now. I think that's probably a fair description, a spot, we'll call it that, Mm -hmm. because there are allegations against two NDP Hamilton MPPs of bullying, of improper or bad behavior, let's say, of a bunch of other things, and Racism, overt sexual conversations. These are the allegations. Um, These are the allegations. Long list. And the question becomes uh, what do you do about it? What do you do about it? Now, the reason I think that this is tricky is because I think I'm not going out on a limb here by saying that the NDP probably would consider themselves the party least likely to have something like this because they would see themselves, I think, as the party most likely to be on the side of the victims, of the little guy, of the workers, of the, not the big guy. Am I, I mean, am I fair they so far? They are the only ones who have unionized uh, support staff in their constituent offices as well. So I, I think I'm not way off, that they would see themselves as yeah. the party of the worker, yes. of the person who is fighting the man sometimes. And so when suddenly the worker in the party is fighting the man who is the MPP or the party, this becomes complicated. I think this becomes a very, it's complicated for everybody. I think it may become especially complicated. I don't think it's complicated. One of, one of the leaders of the provincial parties that I respect beyond belief on previous allegations, unfounded allegations that had come up against other MPPs. Now, not necessarily of her stripe, but I as a consumer of of political goodness, that there is no due process here. They got to go. There is no middle ground. They absolutely have to go. And you're talking about, for example, the day that Patrick Brown was exposed or that the allegations were made against him. Mm -hmm. We all remember that evening at Queens Park. Andrea was really specific, really ardent in her views. There was was no middle ground His behavior was... Alleged behavior. Yeah, I was going to say that. His behavior, I was going to say his behavior was alleged. You got the alleged in before. No, no, that's fine. But it was. It was alleged behavior and 
best I can tell, as is the case, I think, here, there was nothing criminal. It was, as described, the allegations were bad behavior, but I don't think that no one was alleging that Patrick Brown had raped anyone or something. It was a, there were no criminal allegations, just really bad behavior. I want to go to a sound bite. It's going to take a couple of minutes because the day or two days after the Patrick Brown situation, Andrea Horvath, as you just described, gave an interview with Global News. I want to play that and then I want to come back mm. and keeping in mind, well, before I get to that, I just want to mention this because I want to set it up. Andrea Horvath has said in these particular cases with her MPPs, she is going to wait for the ex- investigation to go through for due process for the union to investigate this. We're not going to jump to any conclusions until we know what has happened. We want to make sure we know what's going on. Let's go to this clip. This was global news a day or two after Patrick Brown was at his dirty laundry exposed at Queens Park. For more on the story, we're joined now by Ontario NDP leader Andrea Horvath. Andrea, good morning and thanks for the time. And just first off, uh, let me get your reaction to this news. Well, I mean, I, I think uh, first and foremost, um, it takes a lot of courage and bravery, and my uh, my thoughts are with the young women who um, who came forward yesterday with uh, with their story. Uh, it's a pretty graphic story. It's one that's um, you know, it's one that's quite disturbing, uh, and these allegations are extremely serious. So, um, you know, as, as we've seen uh, a lot in these recent uh, months. Uh, women are saying enough is enough, and there's, uh, they're not going to stay silent uh, when they have had, um, you know, these kinds of uh, these kinds of activities perpetrated against them, and especially where where it's with, uh, people who, you know, are um, are high profile folks that uh, that think that they can get away with these things. Now, again, these are allegations, and I think we have to acknowledge that. But at the same time, um, you know, the the descriptions were pretty detailed, and it was pretty pretty disturbing uh, what uh, what we heard yesterday. All right, these allegations are serious, so is it enough that Patrick Down has stepped down as party leader? Should he give up his uh, seat as well? Should he be standing as an MPP in your estimation? Well, I mean, that's something that uh, their caucus, the Conservative caucus and uh, their party is going to have to deal with. I mean, I, I can tell you if, it was, uh, if he was in the NDP caucus, uh, he wouldn't be an MPP either. Uh, I can just leave it at that. They're going to have to make their decision, but I would not allow someone to continue um, if it was in my, my caucus. All right, all right. That was an interview that uh, was done shortly after Patrick Brown had been accused of misbehavior. If it was in her oh. caucus, that person would not be an MPP. They would not be in the caucus. And yet, Matthew Van Dongen's story in The Spectator today. NDP leader Andrea Horvath says she is concerned about human rights complaints made by staffers against two Hamilton MPPs, but she won't boot anyone from caucus before the allegations are investigated. So first of all, I really resent the characterization of them being called staffers. Um, Andrea should call them victims, survivors, just like she referred to the other... alleged victims and otherwise. Um, what's This is so beyond ridiculous in terms of the level of duplicity from Andrea. What ridiculous. What, re, what bothers me about this, and I don't, I, I'm well past the point of being shocked that people in political parties would take a position on one thing when it's too, you know, against their party or that they think they can stand for and do something else. I'm not shocked by that. What bothers me about this so much is that 
I believe there are people who truly, legitimately have suffered and are victims of these things. And when you pick and choose which ones you are going to, that one of them is horrendous, but the other one, because it's one of ours, is not so bad or needs to, they need to have their due process or we're not going to call them victims. It just, it makes the whole thing seem political rather than doing the right thing. It just seems like it's all about chasing or keeping or maintaining or trying to access power rather than doing the right thing. That, that to me is the problem. Sure. This is not a huge story. Um, it's not a huge story in Hamilton. It's barely a story at all um, outside of this city. And that is not because of the frivolity of the allegations. It's because of the irrelevance of the NDP party in uh, provincial media. But don't you, okay, but you become relevant by showing that you practice what you preach. Do you not? You become relevant. You show, look, if you're going to do that and we're going to do better than you. Like how Doug Ford came out instantly and chopped Michael Harris's head off for his inappropriate text. This week. Um, when did you first learn about this? Last night. He's gone as of today. Boom. No middle ground, nothing. Well, oh, okay. Isn't that what we're supposed to do as the leaders? But Separate yourself? Well, and here's where we're going to, I'm going to take one little bit of issue with you on this one, because I, I tend actually, by and large, in a lot of ways, to stand more with Andrea's view, Andrea Horvath's view on this, that let's let them have their hearing rather than just dumping everybody at any sign of any allegation. I, the problem is, the problem is we only seem to want to do this when it's people that we support. Those that we support or that are in our party, they deserve a hearing. Everyone else, if there's an allegation, gone. You got to well, be gone immediately. There was this movement called Me Too I, I you might have missed. No, I didn't so miss. So due process no longer uh, well, exists. And that's why I'm saying I believe I believe in the concept of due process. I believe So I actually agree with Andrea Horvath's view that they should no, have their No, her latest view. Uh, Fair enough. Her view on this one, that they should be able to have their hearing before we leap to any conclusions. Problem is, there are many conclusions being leapt to long before now that are from other parties that it's way more convenient. It was very convenient to demand that Patrick Brown, not just from Andrea Horvath, by the way, I don't. she's not the only one here, uh, that he be gone immediately before he was even able to offer any kind of a defense. And as the leader of the party... You know, the party probably would have thought, well, he's so damaged now, but you, it, it just seems to me that you make a mockery of this when you argue so vehemently on one side. And then when it's you having to make a hard decision that, yeah, we're going to, we're going to give them their chance to explain itself and we'll see where it goes. Maybe this thing gets all sorted out that it, it, it diminishes the victims. It really diminishes. What if these people, and we don't know. These are all allegations as they were with Patrick Brown, as they have been with most of these people. What if these allegations turn out to be true? What if they turn out to be true? That means if they turn out to be true, that Andrea Horvath has basically told these victims then, as they would be victims, that their victimness was not believable, was not plausible. We did we had to go through everything where other victims were willing to jump on board. I, I, it's so... As you say, it's, I don't know if duplicit is the right word. It's so inconsistent. It's so inconsistent to me. I 
feel, believe that what we have learned mostly from John Best at the Bay Observer and subsequently the and he has done a great has, yeah, no and yeah. he's done a great job on this for sure but this story has been coming out one drip at a time and there's more coming and I'd like to uh, continue to watch what Andrea's revolving position might be it's things like this that'll hurt her mayoral bid but how <laughs> but how do you how do you then later on if the time comes that someone from another party does something improper again, how do you stand on a pedestal and demand that they be answerable? Well, that's a really good question. And I wish Van Dongen had asked it. Or did it not occur to him that she had kind of flip-flopped on uh, this position? Oh, I'm sure he did. I'm sure he did as well. It becomes... If you are going to be the defender of the little guy, you can't pick and choose which little guy you're going to believe or defend. Believe all victims. That's assuming everybody who makes an allegation is a victim. It's, see, here's the problem. This is a complicated... This is the way MPPs more compl- are in the position of power. And do you need the Me Too handbooks? God, come on. I know what the Me Too handbook is going to say. My point is... This is a complicated thing. I understand that. So you either have to take the position, if you're going to be consistent, you either have to take the position that we are going to give everyone the opportunity to defend themselves before leaping to a conclusion and demanding they be kicked out. Yes. Or we take the word of all victims and demand that at any allegation, the alleged perpetrator be kicked out. You can't pick and choose then which ones you're going to have. It's got to, you got to stay on one side or the other of this to be consistent. Well, apparently you're wrong because she can. I don't even know what to say. I mean, it, it, this just seems wrong. I mean, it, it does. It just seems wrong in so many ways. Can you imagine if, if it wasn't Andrew and it was Doug Ford? If this was Doug was Ford demanding sta- two MPPs? Right, standing by them for due process, the world would go mad. The, people would be rioting in the streets. Because Doug Ford would be a misogynistic right. uh, defender of abuse, of power, and all these things. So Andrea is all of those things then. I don't know if she is all those things, but she allows herself to be painted as all well, those things. I, look, you can't have it every which way. No, and, and, and so and I'm saying I don't know Andrea Horvath personally. I don't know where she true, but I'm saying if you are going to put yourself in the position where you argue on one side and then defend the same or something similar on the other side, you don't allow yourself to be consistent and you... You don't allow, I don't think you allow yourself to be, next time she stands up and wants to argue that so-and-so should be kicked out or that has done something wrong, there's no credibility there. Correct. To me, to me, there's no credibility there. I think that's the overarching statement on the whole issue. And if, you're, no going, and if you're going to take the position that they must be gone, these <laughs> other people, that Patrick Brown or whatever, then that should have happened here. And if it turns out then that this is made up allegations, that they are pointless or they don't have any thing to them, we will bring you back. Or you take the position that we will, in every case, find out what has happened and then we'll make our decision. It's got to be one or the other. And this is something, Lauren, that we are, it's not just Andrew Horvath. We are going to, I think, I really believe this, that the, the Me Too thing and others along those lines has 
basically been handled or gone one particular way, but I, I do think that in time it is going to, there are going to be a few cases, it's inevitable, there's going to be a few cases that turn out not to be as described, and the people who have been alleged of doing something are going to be found to have not done those things, at least not as said, and that will change, I think, the way some of these things happen. It will lead to more of a before we cut you off. Well, the pendulum has to swing back a bit. I would think. I would think. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. Right off the top today, Lauren, we were chatting about Mark Zuckerberg's hair. Yes. Uh, We're not going to talk about his hair anymore. We've essentially exhausted that topic. But he did speak in front of Congress this week for two or three days where he was berated and challenged and ripped and... I don't think Mark Zuckerberg has probably had that done to him for a long time. Mm-hmm. But what I really found interesting was an interview with Tim Cook, the CEO or president or whatever he is of Google this week, who uh, actually took a few shots at Mark Zuckerberg. But what? But the, I'm not going to go into those. The comment that he made that fascinated me is that he says, privacy is a human right. Privacy is a human right. Human rights are water and food right. and shelter and clothing. Is privacy, is he right? Is privacy a human right? It would never occur to me that it was my right to be protected online and what it is I post on Facebook or search on Google. I, I, no, I don't know. I don't think it's a right at all. See, you're on somebody else's platform. You're on somebody else's domain. See, I, and I, it's public. Yeah. I, I, it depends what you mean by privacy. Because I think that if I am in my house and I shut the door and pull the curtains and whatever else, and I want to walk around from my shower to my closet and I don't have any clothes on, I think I have a right to expect that there's not a camera that someone has planted sure. in there. That kind of privacy as a human right I would say, yes, I agree. But what he's talking about is that if you go online or type things into a computer, as you say, or go on to a platform that you have a human right to expect. No, everything's data mining. Everybody figures out. And the only reason to be fearful of it is if you think um, what you're up to is important enough that anyone would care. Well, uh, partially. I, there are certain things and I've talked about it on the show. There are certain things that really do creep me out about some of the stuff they do, especially the part where they can monitor, they track your phone and see everywhere you go and Mm. stuff like that. That, that part. But you can turn that off. You can turn that off. You, you, by turning it off, you also turn off a whole lot of other services that are in you, you, that you want your phone to be used for, but you're right. You can turn it off. So while I feel skittish about a lot of the stuff that is on the internet that is information about me that I may not even know that I've put up there. My visa number is out there for someone who knows how to access it, whatever. I don't know that I can expect that when I have voluntarily entered information into the computer world, that I can then expect that that's a human right, that it will be erased or made private. I don't know that I can expect that. The computer's not some altruistic nirvana. You entered it on a site that is somebody's property and domain. So. so where then does the right, if there is a right to privacy, 
in our life? Where does it begin and end? I've given one example, which is that you are just in your house by yourself. And I think you should be able to expect that that is your private area to do what you want, as long as it's not criminal. But it's more than just our devices. Um, Your cable or satellite provider knows what you're watching on television. Your hydro company knows when you're home uh, using what kind of hydro. It's, it's, It's not all that frightening to think that people are monitoring you. Um, if you don't want to be, I guess you got to go be Ted Kaczynski minus, right. the, minus the bombs. Completely off the grid, if yeah. it bothers you that much. Even when you're in your house, and, and again, the right to privacy, even if you're alone in your house, if you are doing something illegal, I don't know that you have a right to privacy. If you have a grow up in your home and you are in there by yourself with the windows drawn and the doors closed, do you have a right for no one to ever come into that place and break up your grow up? Well, under criminal law, you do have a right until the police have a reason to get a warrant. But it's not absolute then. Your right to privacy, even in your house, is not absolute. If you break the law or if there's suspicion you break the law. So if you don't even have a right to absolute, an absolute right to privacy within your home, how can you be expected, how can you argue that you have an absolute right to privacy online? Then Mr. Google was wrong. And you know, the irony of this is that from what we've heard, Google has more information on us than anybody else. Exactly. It's not like Google is, now they may argue that you're, privacy is protected because we're not giving out this information, but it's still out there if someone wants to access it. But of course they are. They target advertise. It's the same thing. Yeah. They would argue, I think, I think the case they would make is we do that in a careful, protected way that we don't give your information to other people. Uh, My point is it, look at, uh, what's his face? Who's now Julian Assange or other people. The other one who, who's the other guy who, uh, got the Pentagon stuff out. I can't think of his name now. If you know what you're doing and someone is determined they want to get, you're telling me that right now, if someone at the Pentagon was really bound and determined, they could not tell us an awful lot about a member of Congress or Donald Trump or a candidate running for election or something. Of course, someone could, could access that stuff. Yeah. And what information they release could change people's views. You know, just because you release some stuff doesn't mean you release all the stuff and you can tell a different story if you pick and choose what stuff is going to be released. But all the hoopla on on Russian operatives changing the, 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 getting Trump elected, take a look at your Facebook stream of what politically engaged people are posting from one end of the spectrum to the other. The vast majority of what I'm seeing is not mainstream media and is not legit stuff. It is nonsense created and targeted like everything is in the world of marketing. There's not much of a difference. But it's targeted to you based on your view. So if you are a far right winger, the stuff that is going to be targeted to you is stuff no, that's I'm, going to preach but, to you largely and it's going to be stuff But I'm that, also seeing stuff in other people's streams. I'm, I'm open to, no, to look I, at political views all over the place. I, I, know, I know you are. What I'm saying is the way that this stuff works when you're talking about targeted is that 
you're largely getting things that you want to see. So if you are exceedingly right-wing, most of the stuff that Facebook or whomever else would put on your stream would be things that will appeal to you. And if you're very left-wing, right. you will see the left-wing. They're not sending out MSNBC columns to those who are Rush Limbaugh fans right. and vice versa. Yeah, no, I get that. And so, but again, the idea is... is Figuring out what your interests are. Is that breaching your privacy? Tim Cook says you should absolutely have the right as a human right to privacy. But he's speaking out of his butt. If you Google something with your Facebook open, Google something on Amazon within 10 minutes, you'll be target advertised for what you just searched on Amazon for. You know, I learned. So Google's given it to. I learned this a few years ago because I was, I'm really slow on the draw with this stuff. And I was, I, I did that. I was shopping for something, let's say a barbecue. And I was searching online, doing some looking around in different stores and stuff. And then it probably was Facebook, but it might've been something else. I go on the Facebook page and the ad that pops up is a barbecue. And it was the one I was looking at. I went, mind reader. Is, that, no, it wasn't even that. I thought that is so coincidental. Mm. What a weird fluke that that happened. Yeah. And it was only about when it was the fourth or fifth time. I'm, I told you I'm a little slow on the t- update, but it was like, wow, me, w- w- wait a second. But that's kind of a. But that's what it is. That's how they do it. Equally offensive as uh, political targeting or unoffensive. Well, it, as long as you know, you don't get hurt. Yeah. I just, I, I say it's, it's, it's a, privacy is absolute and is a human right. Yeah. Tim Cook says, I don't, um, I, I don't believe that not, not in this particular way. And I don't believe that he believes that. Oh, no, of course not. But it's a nice soundbite. And it makes him look like a better guy than Mark Zuckerberg, sure. who's getting hammered right now. I never liked Zuckerberg ever since the movie. What was that called again? I can't remember what the name of the movie was, where he allegedly took the Facebook idea from right. the social network. Thank you. Yes. May have to watch Thank it again you. now. See if his haircut was any better then. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. Uh, that There is going to be a movie made, or there is being a movie made about Rob Ford. And his life and the investigation, I guess, that brought him down, sort of. It's really unclear exactly. And so Robin Doolittle, who was the reporter with the Globe and Mail at the time, she was one of, she was probably the lead reporter on it. There were others involved. Anyway, she tweeted out this week that it was, uh, that she had learned that the, a reporter in this movie was going to be played by a guy. And she said, that that's sort of odd since I was the guy who wrote the book literally on him. Now, the char- the actor who is now playing the role of a reporter says, well, I'm not really playing you. I'm playing a reporter at a different paper that is chasing this story. So it's not the Robin Doolittle Rob Ford story. Right. It's a story around this whole... Anyway, you get the idea. So it- there was a question about, is there... We're back to sexism, but is it, is it, why would Holly, why does Hollywood need to change things up so much that they would create this kind of thing? That was the first part, but then I saw who was playing Rob Ford. Now, Rob Ford, as people will remember, was something of a corpulent fellow. (laughs) Wow. Good word. Uh, he... You know, there were times when if he had been two inches taller, he would have been round. He was a large man Mm -hmm. for much of his life. The guy who's playing him is 
Damien Lewis, a British actor who you would probably know from Homeland. You probably know as Captain, uh, what was his name, in, in Band of Brothers. Um, oh, right. The, the lead yeah, actor yeah. in Band of Brothers. A man who literally looks nothing like Rob Ford. You could I don't know no. that you could find a human being who looked less like Rob mm-hmm. Ford. I'm I'm trying to understand the the whole Hollywood thing. I mean, I'm I'll 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 stand with Robin Doolittle for a second here and say that I don't understand the whole So is the character he's playing named Rob Oh, it's Ford Rob Ford in the city of Toronto. Ah, uh, that's my understanding. Yes. Yeah? Yep. He's got to eat a few cheeseburgers. Well, he's going to have he's going to have a uh, a fat suit that he's going to wear. Oh, a, really? Uh, like a prosthetic. Is that All what right. you call it? A, a I guess that's what it is. But but okay, so but here's one of the things. So there was a lot of social media this week about, well, wait a second, why is why are they choosing a man to play a role that would have been or that was done by a woman? And by the way, I got it wrong. Robin Doolittle's now at the Globe. She was at the Star when this was going on. Right. Uh, why choose a man? Now, it may or may not. I, I haven't seen the movie. I don't know if it's actually supposedly portraying her. They say not. But as sexist as this might be, if that's the case, is it not also, what's the right word, fattest, sizest? Because why why would you not choose a large actor to play Rob Ford rather than to chunk one up to play Rob Ford, who's not even of the same accent. Your, your point may sound a little goofy, but there's an equal, right? If you're does this to, not Does this not say that larger actors are being cut out of work because they've decided to go with a skinny fit guy to play Rob Ford who was anything but? Except, well, it's acting, so you can put him in a fat suit and maybe there's more than just physical appearance to the story they're trying to tell, and everyone has become way too hypersensitive. Well, I understand, but what would happen if- Whether it be gender-based or other, like- Okay, what would happen if you had a white white actor who was being asked to be playing a black character, and you, rather than a fat suit, you put skin makeup on them? There's no chance that a movie studio anywhere on this planet would do that. The last time that happened was with Robert Downey Jr. in a comedy movie, and he wasn't really, I mean, it, and, and even then, it was supposed to be funny, and even then- In an Al Jolson biopic? Can no, it was, it was, it was a, he was a soldier. It was, I can't even remember what the movie was now. Tropic Thunder. Huh. And it was a joke about it, but it was, even then, it created a thing. There's two parts to this story, and I really don't know. One of them is, I don't understand why Hollywood- sometimes seems to want to find the opposite of what they need to do the role and then try and make the opposite look like the person that maybe could have gone out and hired in the first place. I mean, there's got to, Lauren, there's got to be one heavier actor on planet earth who could have done this role, who was a good enough actor. I mean, I know John Candy is gone. He would have been perfect, but there's got to be one guy who you could have said, yeah, you know what? Okay. This is for the, the, the bigger men out there. doesn't matter to me, but that's, that's the, there's got to be. And so if you're going to get bent out of shape and, and I can, I can kind of understand if you're going to say they've chosen a man to play a woman's role, should it not be equally upsetting that you've chosen a skinny guy to play a fat man's role? Yes. Yes. What if you, yeah, go ahead. I I don't understand the decision making. Um, 
And I also don't understand uh, the outrage because there's creative license on anything. And in Hollywood, anybody can play anything and the stories are adapted well, accordingly. Well, so. hold on a sec, because I want to go back to that point. You, not everyone can play anything. There are, there are lines that nobody dare cross. As I say, the one with, with putting right. someone, a white person. No blackface. In blackface. I think you could probably today include a white person portraying an indigenous person would be not acceptable at all. They have done that in the past. That would not fly anymore. Didn't didn't the Wayne brothers years ago um, make a movie where they were in whiteface? They pretended to be white girls? Yes, the sisters. Yeah, white girls, I think it was called. Not offensive. Right? Uh, No, I don't don't hear anyone complain. Nobody gives me the rule book on... No, it's just, it's, it's an interesting one to me. It's a really interesting one to me because... You're right. It, it is a moving target mm. rule book. It really is. But uh, if you're going to be, it, if you're not going to be upset about any of it, that's fine. You're, you're entitled to not be upset. And that's probably the healthy way to be. You know, if they want to hire a guy to play a role and they want to make it in, into a man instead of a woman or a woman instead of a man. All right. That's their choice. It's their movie. It's their money. Knock yourself out. But if you're going to be upset about the. Then be upset about everything. You should be upset about everything. And Daniel whatever his name is, what did I say his name was? Dan, not Daniel, uh, Damian Lewis. Damian Lewis shouldn't be the guy. And, and I, listen, I love Damian Lewis. Band of Brothers is the best miniseries of all time. Yes, it is. By a million miles. And he's the, and he was the so, guy who drove that. I love Damian Lewis, but if you're going to be upset about it all, he so shouldn't be doing it. You're suggesting that Andrea Horvath is upset about Robin Doolittle, but doesn't care about I didn't fatism? Say, I didn't is that say, how we... I didn't die... The, I we're didn't, back to consistency, that's I all. did not pull those two arguments in together. I, okay. It is it is a, it is an odd one though because again a lot of maybe the whole point maybe the instructional thing here the lesson is just stay off social media entirely because this is where this thing percolated and this is where this got a lot of traction that this is just sexist I don't know if it is sexist because I don't know if that's the story they're telling but anyway when we watch this movie I can't wait to see Damian Lewis in a weird kind of way yeah as Rob Ford that's really bizarre it's like having you playing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in I'd the biopic. That. I'd love that. Yeah, I mean, that flies into these thing. We can't go right. there. Into the Maybe the George Murasan. He's the seven foot six white guy I, who was in the NBA. So you can do that role. I don't know how. Yeah, but I could really do Kareem's essence. <laughs> I'm telling you, shuffle demons. You yeah. could be in the shuffle demons with it's that guy. bus. <laughs> The Scott Radley Show. The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.